You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 89. When should I give my teen a cell phone? Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. This week's episode is brought to you by Stitch Fix, which is my favorite personal styling solution as a busy mom who hates to shop. (laughs) Okay, I don't mind shopping in super ideal conditions like when I'm with my best girlfriends and we have hours of uninterrupted time without our kids, but let's get serious. How often does that happen? So with Stitch Fix, you go online and you fill out a style profile where you can share your preferences for fit and trends and also set a price range that you're comfortable paying for clothes. A personal stylist puts together a box of five items just for you and ships it directly to your home. You try on all the pieces in the box and you keep what you love and send back what you don't. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it really is that easy. And I have to tell you, I heard about Stitch Fix a couple of years before I finally got online and filled out the style profile. I knew right away that it was the perfect solution for me when I heard about it, but I just kept thinking, oh, I'll get to that when I have more time. For some reason, I thought that the style profile would be long and complicated to fill out. I thought I'd have to get a measuring tape and and measure different parts of my body and get crazy detailed. No, The style profile is super simple and takes about 10 minutes to complete. Honestly, I'm kicking myself that I didn't do it so much sooner because I truly love the clothes that Stitch Fix has sent me over the past year since I started using them. And you can go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash Stitch Fix to see some of the clothes they've sent me and receive $25 off your first box. Don't be like me and wait forever to try Stitch Fix. Go right now. It's 3in30podcast.com forward slash Stitch Fix and $25 off your first box. Do you remember your first cell phone? My mom had one before I did and I remember that it literally looked like a large walkie-talkie and I'm pretty sure it had to stay plugged in to that cigarette lighter in our van in order for it to work. She almost never used it. It just stayed in our van in case there was an emergency when we were on the road. When I was a senior in high school, my parents got me my first cell phone so I could touch base with them if I was at after-school activities or out with friends. This was not a big decision for them. My simple phone was harmless. It did not have the internet or even texting. Texting had not been invented yet. (laughs) Oh, how times have changed. Today, parents have to consider so many more factors before handing over a phone to their children. Because with smartphones, teens are often exposed to cyberbullying, sexting, pornography, increased comparison with others. That can lead to body image issues, low self-esteem, depression, and anxiety. It's scary. But today's guest does not want parents to feel afraid. She wants us to feel empowered with tools and know-how to make smart, safe decisions regarding technology within our families. My friends, I truly think this is one of the most actionable and important episodes we've had on 3 and 30. So let's dive in. 
I'm here today with my good friend, Andrea Davis. She's a mother of five, and I got to know her through the website Power of Moms. We both work together there, and we've been friends for several years, and I have been so excited to watch her new organization growing so quickly over the last couple of years. She is the founder of Better Screen Time, and she is passionate about helping parents navigate technology, phone use, when we should give our kids devices, how to help our kids develop responsibility with devices, all of those things that I know is top of mind for so many of us right now. And I knew I had to get her on the podcast. So Andrea, welcome to 3 and 30. Thank you, Rachel. I am excited to be here because we work together at Power of Moms and it's been awesome for me to just see your writing take on a whole new life through this podcast. And you're just helping so many mothers out there, including me. So I am happy to be here. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. We were talking a little bit before the interview about how we just feel so blessed by all the different women that we've met through Power of Moms and to see the Mm -hmm. different cool things that people are doing. Like a lot of us have kind of taken our passion and gone with it in different directions. And you have really dove into this topic of technology with our kids. And I was wondering before we start, if you could tell us a little bit about how this passion developed for you. Why did you decide to start Better Screen Time? Yeah. So really, I think this journey started a long time ago, over a decade ago, uh, as I was thinking about this. So when we were a young married couple and just starting our family, my husband was working on his PhD in engineering at Purdue. And we had, you know, our oldest was a couple of years old. And I had a a good friend there who was an avid reader. I mean, I love to read, but this friend had read so many books and was just so smart. And we were talking one day and she said, my parents didn't ever have a TV. And I was like, really? So I was, I was just curious. And I've never been a huge TV watcher myself. And so I guess that kind of got us started on this path where we decided to just use our TV as an appliance. Since that day, so it's been about 12 years ago, we have kept our TV in a closet. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And then we've just pulled it out when we wanted to watch the Olympics or have a family movie night. And I, I think as a result, my kids are huge readers. I have five kids now, this many years later. And th- I think that's kind of where it started. But then eventually, you know, technology changed. As a mother, I've watched how how much technology has changed over the course of this, you know, 14 years. My oldest is 14. And then... I don't have a toddler anymore. I have a teenager, right? And so as time has passed, I began to feel pretty frustrated with not knowing what to do next because the TV was the least of our concerns, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's portable devices and Wi-Fi, so accessibility everywhere and data. Fast forward a few years later, we went through a crazy cross-country move and, you know, gave our middle schooler a smartphone because someone had just handed one down to us and it was what we had. And so we were in this new town. I didn't know anybody. It was the middle of winter. We were living in temp housing, you know, didn't even have a place to live yet. And so I gave my daughter the smartphone because I wanted to be able to get a hold of her and and know where she was. And so she could call me if she didn't get off on the right bus stop or whatever it was. And we had, you know, some conversations about technology and being smart and using it responsibly. But I soon realized that it was too much too soon. 
and that I hadn't adequately prepared myself or prepared my daughter for this. And so it was with that that I started asking lots of parents questions and, you know, just doing a lot of reading. And I eventually, we decided to go back to a a brick phone and Mm -hmm. that was kind of how this started. And I realized that I couldn't be, I couldn't be the only parent out there that was lost and really needed some help. And I felt like most of the information that was available was very fear-based and Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted tools. I wanted to be able to teach my kids to use technology as a tool. So that's, that's kind of how it started. I love hearing that it came from a very personal, real situation in your own life. And I do feel like so often that is what sparks our best ideas is that we see a legitimate need in our own life and we, we dig in and we research and then we realize with everything that we're learning, wow, I should really share some of this that I'm learning. And Mm -hmm. that's how your organization came to be. And today for our episode topic, the title of our episode is going to be, when should I give my teen a phone? And I cannot tell you, Andrea, how often this topic has been requested. (laughs) I'm like this, I mean, this is the episode that parents have been waiting for from three and 30. So I'm so excited to hear your input. There's so many mothers that want to do this well and right, and that are worried about the impact that technology is having on their children, but also recognizes that it's inevitable and it can be good. Like you said, it doesn't have to be all fear-based, Yeah, but just there's so many mothers hungry for this information. So, so teach us, start with your first <laughs> takeaway and tell us how can we decide when to give our teens a phone, a smartphone right. particularly. Yeah. So I get it because I've been there, just like you said, and it's really frustrating But the first takeaway is to find five parents who are just a few years ahead of you in parenthood and ask them how they've handled technology and cell phones with their children. Mm. So I and I say five parents because I feel like when we ask maybe three, we might get two parents that kind of handle it the same way and then one that doesn't. I I don't know what it is about five. I feel like asking like five parents, you kind of get a broad range of opinions and experiences. Mm -hmm. And I also see a lot of value in trying to have this conversation either face-to-face or over the phone. And this is what I did. So I was, you know, baffled and confused. And I just asked some parents that I trusted. And I said, can, can I talk, you know, I actually like scheduled an appointment with them and said, can I talk to you? You know, when is a good time for you? I tried to not take too much of their time because I knew, you know, parents of teens are super busy. And it was so great because I feel like when we have this conversation face-to-face or over the phone, then parents can share like what they really want to tell you. Whereas if Mm. we just throw it out in a Facebook group or on our, you know, personal Instagram, we might get a lot of different opinions. But what I'm finding is that you know, once we have teenagers, there's something, there are some things we can't share. Right. And there's Mm. some things just out of respect to our teens because they're old enough. They don't want everyone to know everything. Whereas in a personal conversation, a parent of a teenager can tell you, this is what I wish I would have done. And I heard so much of that. I heard so many parents tell me, I wish I would have waited so that was just helpful to me. And I 
I took notes. So I highly recommend because you think you'll remember everything they tell you from those conversations, but you won't. And so I literally like had a pen and paper or as soon as I got done talking to them, I went and sat down and, or you could, you know, record a voice memo, but I recorded what they shared with me. And, you know, and I asked them too later on, as I started better screen time, can I share, you know, some of this with my audience because it's helped me so much. And so I just think that's really insightful to have that conversation And it helped me to be brave enough to go back to the brick phone and to realize that I wasn't the only one. One of those conversations I had was actually with the middle school principal. So I noticed that he sent a lot of really great information and emails to parents. And I I just got this vibe. I'm like, we're on the same page. Like he's, he's parenting like I want to parent. And so I asked him, can I come in and talk to you? And I did. And his youngest teen is the same age as my oldest teen. So he's Hmm. already, he has four kids. So he's already, you know, done a lot of parenting, has a lot of experience. And I asked him, I said, okay, so does your son have a smartphone or when are you going to give him a phone? And, and he said, no, he doesn't have one. And I said, well, you don't, don't you get any pushback? And he said, every day. (laughs) And it was just that moment for me when I realized that good parenting doesn't mean that we never get any pushback. You know, good parenting is really researching and talking to people and making a sound decision and then definitely working through it with our teens and Mm -hmm. letting them know, know why. Like I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek and that was part of, you know, what I do at Better Screen Time is explaining the why because our teens want to know, well, why can't I just have a smartphone now or, or our children, right? Our children, even before their teens, why can't I do it? And so they need to know, you know, what are the effects of screen time on the brain? What are maybe some of the mental health effects? And hmm. everyone's different. So that was really yeah. helpful for me. So I love that you, it's like almost like forming a think tank of really wise mentors in your life. And we do not do that enough. Like with any issue, it doesn't necessarily have to be technology. With any issue, we can reach out and ask for support and advice and create these communities of parents supporting each other. I think this is a brilliant and unique idea to ask five parents that are a few years ahead of you and to kind of vary who that is. So it's not just people who are all exactly like you, but people who you respect that have different roles and different maybe backgrounds or religious beliefs or whatever, just getting a wide range of experience in, in informing what you decide to do for your kids. Exactly. And not like asking the middle school principal in some ways, like we're very different. We have different religious backgrounds. We have there are a lot of differences between us. Who would know better than a middle school principal the effects of screen time on kids this age, right? Like, I think if you can go interview like the counselor at your school or the principal, I mean, Mm. I think they'd be happy to talk to you, really. And it sometimes takes a little bit of bravery to do that, to approach those people who are their authority figures for our kids, but in some ways they start to feel like authority figures for us. We're like, oh, I'm talking to the principal. But I'm sure that (laughs) that like even built a bridge between you that is going to bless your children when they go to that school. Like he knows you. He knows you're an engaged parent. I'm sure there's a much different relationship there than there was before you had that conversation. 
Oh, yeah. And then it's interesting because then our school district did some boundary changes and he asked me to be on the committee, you know, and one Mm -hmm. parent of three out of the whole school. And I think it started with that conversation. So I think it, it is also just a good way to bridge that, that gap and yeah, show that you're, you're there to support the school. And, and then when problems do come up, then it's much easier, right. To, to have those conversations too. Yes. And I love in your outline, you mentioned that you always make sure to tell these parents um, that this is not, that it's no criticism, no judgment of what they've done. You just want to hear what they've done and their thoughts about it and what's worked and what hasn't. And then you assimilate all of that. You go back to your family, your husband, and even your kids, which you're going to talk about in a later takeaway, and you get their input and you decide what's best for your family. But just being informed and getting some different perspectives is super helpful. Yes. And it is so important to let those parents know that from the get go. Like, I'm not here to judge you or criticize you. I sincerely want to know what worked and what didn't. And that's really important because I can't tell you how many parents who are, you know, four or five years ahead of me who they've said, it's too late for me. Like, I I appreciate what you're doing. You know, this is great. Too late for my kids, like jokingly. But then when I have a real conversation with them, you know, and they're willing to open up a little bit. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to admit that maybe we didn't make the best choice. But those parents really are the pioneers in this. And there was no one to lead them. So they have just been figuring it out as they go. And that's why I feel like that's my responsibility is to be kind of that mediator between one generation to the next, because Mm -hmm. I have that advantage of just getting into this and having those parents just ahead of me so I can learn from them. But I can also pass it along to the parents that are coming along next. Yeah. And you said that you talked to 20 parents, right? I I did. Mm-hmm. You went above and beyond and probably also because you were building this resource for families. Yes. I don't think mm-hmm. that, you know, that the average mom or dad needs to talk to 20. That might be no. a little bit of information <laughs> overload. Yes. But um, you really, you really dove in and researched this topic. So yeah. I think is so cool. So my next takeaway is to work with your family to create healthy tech boundaries. As I talked about Simon Sinek and the start with why I just realized the importance of giving our kids some ownership in our family technology plan and also giving them the opportunity to share their opinions and their thoughts, right? Um, because when after we first had given our daughter that phone, I made a plan. <laughs> so I made a family technology plan and I like, you know, I talked with my husband about it, but I kind of presented it to everyone and I was like, this is what the rules are going to be in our family. And that didn't work. It's too authoritative and mm-hmm. your kids... And it's just so important to hear your kids' thoughts and opinions. And so we held a series of discussions. We actually called it a family tech think tank. But, you know, it's essentially a family council, uh, whatever you'd like to call it. But we talked about a variety of tech-related topics, everything from just online safety, like passwords and, you know, being careful, that kind of thing, to pornography. So we had 10 discussions on a variety of topics And one of them, one of those topics was specifically about when you should get a cell phone, but I Mm. didn't present, I didn't present it to my kids that way. So what we did is we got together with our big poster board and I just asked the kids two questions. And so, and I recommend that every parent does this in their family. Like if, especially if you have 
you know, grade school kids or anyone that might be asking for a cell phone, this is just great prep for this. So I asked them, what does it mean to be responsible? That was the first question. And so, and our kids are smart, right? So they, they know, like they came up with all kinds of things. They were like, you know, you do your homework without anyone asking you to do it. You get up on time for school and you get ready by yourself. You brush your teeth, you know, have good hygiene. And they came up with this whole list of things. And I was like, yeah, that is what a responsible person does. And then the second question I asked them was, what does it mean to be emotionally mature? Now, that's kind of a mouthful for younger kids, but you can kind of talk them through it using different terms. But they got the idea. They were like, oh, you're you're kind to your brothers and sisters. You're nice. You do what your mom and dad tell you to do. And And so they came up with this whole list. And then we got to the end of the discussion. I said, yes. And those are all the things that a person needs to be able to do before they're responsible enough to have their own cell phone. And Mm -hmm. the kids were like, oh, okay. (laughs) And so then what we did is we turned that into a self-evaluation for teens, which is available on our website. It's called, Am I Ready for a Personal Device? And it goes through these questions that we talked about with our kids. And then the teens can circle if they're still learning or if they sometimes do that or if they almost always do it. And, you know, the goal isn't to necessarily be 100%, but for your teen to be able to answer almost always on most of these questions. And, you know, I always tell parents, I mean, I have a a 10-year-old that could definitely qualify. She's probably could have qualified at age six. She's just one of those kids. But, you know, the very last question says, do I have a need for a personal device and do my parents feel that I am ready? And so that's Mm -hmm. kind of like your capstone question. Like, no, she doesn't need a device. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no legitimate need. And so that's another conversation you can have with your kids. And I think this just really helps to make the expectations clear. And then it gives the responsibility to your teen to kind of um, be able to demonstrate that they're responsible and, and ready. And I think that, you know, if they're showing, they're demonstrating emotional maturity, then we know at some point when they have social media or even just through text that they're going to show kindness and they're going to speak to people with respect and, and think through things before they comment or text, you know, and it's a learning process. They're, they're not going to be perfect. I think that's another thing that I have learned just that they are learning. And so we need to be here to coach them through that. Yeah. I think that this is a brilliant process, asking them to come up with the answers, which is guiding them towards, like you said, the why behind Because so often, even my seven-year-old asks, when can I have a phone? And I say, when you're older, it's so generic. Like when you're older, (laughs) like there's just some like magical age or, you know, but getting them to see that when you consistently can do these things and and they have buy-in because they came up with them. So did you tell them before the discussion, these are all going to be factors that, you know, go towards being ready for a phone or you just nope. said that after <laughs> I said it after you are tricky <laughs> yeah, tricky I mom know, huh? <laughs> maybe that's like maybe that's manipulative I'm not sure but really you could use a lot of these things to evaluate when you're ready for 
a lot of things, right? Any I mean, number of any, things. Yeah. And so I think yeah. deep down kids know, I mean, they're, they're, all of our kids are smart and they, they know what is expected, but having something kind of written out is really helpful. And, and then we just said, and before, you know, this, this is an evaluation that you'll do when you're a teenager. And prior to that, if there's a legitimate need for a phone, then we can use a family device that's just like a basic brick phone. Yeah. And you recommend like a four-phase process for introducing them to a full smartphone, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I know that there are there's a variety of people that listen to this. I'm Christian, so I really took this to to God. And I was like, there's got to be a better way because I can't pick an age. I've got five kids here. They're all so different. I can't just say, okay, when you're 14, you get a smartphone. That, that's not going to work. So help me out here. <laughs> you know, the scripture came to mind. There's a scripture that says line upon line, precept upon precept. And I think that's a, a concept that can be found in many different religions and different belief systems is just the idea of learning bit by bit and taking things one one step at a time. And mm -hmm. the the image that popped into my head was this four-phase process. And I could just see, okay, here's the brick phone or the flip phone. And then next we've got a simplified smartphone, which is much easier to do now. Apple has a screen time feature. And then Google has a Google Family Link so you can actually really limit and lock down what is available on the smartphone now, which is really nice. So that's phase two. That's where my teen is at right now. Phase three is adding some more apps that you agree with together that might be helpful, or maybe they even have been responsible enough that you put a game on their phone. You know, that's a decision to be made, you know, between parents and the, and the teen. And then the very last step of the phase is to add social media if, you know, your teen wants to. And so mm -hmm. that's, uh, we kind of use this self-evaluation to keep, we keep returning to it as we're working through the phases and, and we're talking about, well, how responsible have you been through the phase that you're in? You know, well, I noticed you sent a few texts that, you know, I'm not super excited about and this is why and having those conversations and, you know, you need to make sure you're being careful about how you, how you talk to people and the things you say. And, and I think just having those conversations and you're helping coach them through it so they can be ready for that next phase. Yeah. I think this is so smart to just do it gradually bit by bit and to have them kind of take responsibility and look at the evaluation check sheet and see where they're at with it all. And I, I presume that you can also use that as a guide for when you realize that you need to scale back. I heard I heard Ralphie Jacobs once teach and say that she has a nephew who was really struggling to be kind to his siblings. And he and his parents talked about, you know, emotional maturity, like you said. And mm. when you can't be kind to your siblings, then you're not emotionally mature enough to learn how to drive. If you lash out in anger when anybody slights you, at home, then how do we know that you're not going to do that when you're on the road? Yeah. And that's really dangerous. And so as long as you can control your anger at home, then we will support you in getting your permit and your driver's license. Yeah. And she said that 
one day her nephew really lost it on his siblings and was being super cruel and and her sister didn't say anything to him she just picked up the phone and he he could hear her like and she called and and canceled his um his driver's ed lesson for that afternoon (laughs) and and it's just like a She's like, she didn't have to say anything. He knew why they'd had the conversation before. Yeah. Like, you're not getting your driver's license until you learn how to control your anger. And so it was just this natural consequence. And I just thought how that could be similar with a phone where it's not so much you taking it away, but just the family rules or the self-regulation saying, you're clearly struggling to have this emotional maturity right now. And so we're going to scale back on this adult privilege, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that story. That's a perfect example. And exactly, you can use that four phase process to scale back. So, you know, you realize, oh, man, I did give them too much too soon. They're not using responsibly, then rather than just like ripping the phone out of their hands, which we know isn't like healthy or useful, then we sit down, we have a conversation. Okay, we're going to step back a phase or two Mm -hmm. until, you know, you can demonstrate, you know, emotional maturity or whatever the problem might be. And like you said, with the the middle school principal, they're not going to be happy about it. And that's okay. They don't have to be happy about it. And you could still do what they're allowed to have their feelings about it. And you're still allowed to do what you know is best and safest for them. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that leads perfectly into my last takeaway, which is to listen to your gut, but also listen to your teen. So (laughs) when I made those phone calls, one of my good friends told me, listen to your gut. And Mm. her advice has come back to me so many times over the past year as I have been working with a teen and preteen and just trying to figure out what the what the best way to move forward is, I that was hard. It was really hard to step back to the brick phone and you think it wouldn't be, but yeah, it's it's embarrassing for them. It mm-hmm. like they will not pull it out at school. It's so embarrassing because that's not what most everyone has. And so I did. I tried to listen to my team. It was in tears. Even mm-hmm. after the fact, you know, months later, it, it does get easier. I will tell everyone that for the most part, they learn that, okay, this is what we're going to do and this is why, but they'll still have that moment, those moments where they feel really, you know, they're struggling and they want to fit in. That's the hard mm-hmm. thing about teenagers. You know, my background is in, I was a secondary ed teacher. I taught mm-hmm. seventh grade and then college before I was a stay-at-home mom. And so, you know, I've studied teenagers that, but it's totally different having your own, right? And it's hard because you do want them to fit in and you want them to just get to be a normal teen. But it's so important to to listen to your guy. I'll never regret taking that step back because it gave us a whole year to really prepare. And we that's when we did all of these discussions because I was determined that we were going to get through all of that and have those conversations as a family before our daughter had a smartphone again. And, you know, our goal at Better Screen Time is to help parents worry less and to connect more with their kids. And I feel like when we have a big problem such as this, we're, we spend a lot of time worrying, right? And we spend time, the time that we spend worrying, we should be spending connecting with our kids. So I just think really listening to your gut knowing what you need to do and talking with your spouse and following through with it, you'll, you'll never regret that. 
but then also take the time to listen to your teen when they're upset or they're mad because you know they're they don't have a smartphone with everything on it like everyone else does is so it seems it's good to just listen and let them vent and don't mm-hmm. just say well i and i and that's what i've had to learn the hard way i think it's easy to just say no and move on but i i've found that the more helpful words are not yet so instead of just no it's not yet and why and then, and just listen. I've gathered a lot of strength from, from Brene Brown's latest book. So she has a book called Dare to Lead. And mm-hmm. I kind of just had a change in mindset when I read that because I realized that if as parents, we can see ourselves as leaders, that makes this so much easier. I, I don't know what it is about that mindset shift for me, but it really helped because she has a quote in that book that says, daring leaders are never silent about hard things. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is a hard thing. Um, technology and, you know, sending your middle schooler to school with a flip phone or a brick phone. Like, I think it is. I think it's a hard thing. But, you know, if we're daring leaders in our home, then we take the approach of teaching and leading our kids and also leading by example. And I, you know, I use the hashtag be the change you want to see. I use that a lot and more so for myself than for anyone else. Just realized how much I needed to change my own technology habits really as my kids were getting older. And so I, I try to do that. Um, yeah. Be the change you want to see. <laughs> yeah. Amen to that. But, yeah. <laughs> They're watching us. Yes, our totally. kids are watching us, and I I've worked so hard in the last couple months on getting my social media use under control, yeah. and it feels it feels so good to feel like I'm really living true to my values, and my kids aren't constantly seeing me out on my phone. And it was for quote work, you know, and it, and it was, but yeah. what's more important, you know, um, them or my work? And I just I feel like I'm a much better model for them now of what I actually believe with technology. And that's where it starts. Yeah, exactly. And that's the interesting thing is I knew that I needed to kind of get a handle on my own, like have some boundaries in place before I even started this, because wouldn't you know that my screen time's gone way up since starting better yeah, screen sure. time, you know, how ironic. And so, um, yeah, just having those boundaries is super helpful. So if people want to dive further into your work, where should they start? So our website, betterscreentime.com, we have a lot of resources available there. We actually have a start here page at the very top. So I've tried to make it easy to find most of our most popular printables and tools that can help you get started on the right path. And then we have, you know, I'm on Instagram. I do Instagram stories. We have started a Facebook group for parents and that's just getting going. But yeah, you can find us on Instagram, betterscreentime.com or Facebook. And you you have a course too, right? Yes. Yeah. So we launched our first course in April. It's called Creating a Tech Healthy Family. And we currently have 27 pretty amazing parents in that right now. So great. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool to see. And I'm adding more stuff to it this summer and we'll be launching it again in August. So watch for that. And I'm also writing an ebook or a book. It's actually more like a discussion guide and it kind of goes along with, with our course and that will be available pretty soon. I'm so close to being done. 
Oh, that's so exciting. When you were talking about your takeaway about having a family meeting, you mentioned that you had 10 lessons with them. Is that all kind of included and worked into your course how to do that? Yeah. So that's what we'll be adding this summer. So far, the course includes changing your mindset, your environment and your habits. So you can Mm. lead your family confidently to better screen time. So that's the foundation. And then this summer, we'll be adding those 10 lessons. And that's what the discussion guide is. So it's all of the questions to ask your kids and the conversations that you can have with your kids. Okay. Well, Andrea, I can't thank you enough for taking the time and digging in and doing this research and then going the extra step of making such incredible, usable, actionable resources for families. That's what every time I see one of the printables you've made, I'm like, well, that's just straight up brilliant. Um, (laughs) It's it's so obvious that you're a teacher, like you know how to take the information and then make it really actionable for families. So thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank thank you. you for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you, Rachel. It was my pleasure. Did that interview blow your mind? Make sure you head to Better Screen Time where Andrea has so many printables and actionable resources for families, including that Am I Ready for a Personal Device self-evaluation that she described in the episode. And I'll link that and her website in the show notes. To recap Andrea's three takeaways of advice to consider before giving your teen a smartphone. First, find five parents who are a few years ahead of you in parenting and ask them how they've handled technology and cell phones with their children. Have these meetings face-to-face, take notes, and you know listen to what they wish they would have done and what they like that they have done. And then decide what you will keep for your family and what you will let go of. Second, work with your family to create healthy tech boundaries by having some family meetings and discussions and asking them questions such as, what does it mean to be responsible? What does it mean to be emotionally mature? I loved that exercise that she described in the episode. And third, listen to your gut and listen to your teen. Your teen's disappointment and fear of not fitting in is real. And we can listen to and empathize with them while also holding firm to our commitment to protect them and do what we know is best and right for them. As always, thank you for being here. And don't forget to check out this month's sponsor, Stitch Fix, as a way of thanking them for supporting 3 and 30. And I hope that you have a great week with your family.